0: Hey, this is Jonathan with Marketplace Gold. I'm going to be reading the Bitcoin white paper here, and I invite you to listen along. I'm going to be adding just a bit of commentary analysis and some jokes my reading and interpretation of the white paper here. So I invite your feedback, comments, and of course, praise of my jokes. And to get through the white paper, I have done drugs, well, more specifically, smart drugs, so that I can deliver to you the eye-watering technical language hopefully my rapier wit keeps you awake throughout the reading you're going to want to check out marketplace gold which is my platform. It is a directory of businesses, organizations, large and small accepting payment in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Below, wherever you are watching this, I have the directory linked where you can find all of those great folks out there accepting Bitcoin you might appreciate that this reading is not punctuated with annoying ads if so please use marketplace gold to find vendors offering what you want or need and pay with crypto with them my website is not a middleman to transactions don't worry i don't want your Money, it's just a place to find people to deal with. If you're an entrepreneur, business manager, freelancer, you can add a listing on the website describing all the great stuff that you have to offer. And if you take about five, 10 minutes to create a listing there, it is free. And whatever you have to offer for crypto will be available on the website to, I dare say, an illustrious class of customers. And you can, of course, specify which cryptos you accept, because you might be picky. You might not just want any old crypto. You might be a a discriminating uh, receiver of those hashed transactions. Well, enough about me and my website. Let's dive into the white paper. The Bitcoin white paper. A peer-to-peer electronic cash system by the man of mystery himself, Satoshi Nakamoto. And his email address is listed right there, gmx.com. If you want to get in touch with Satoshi Who knows? Maybe he checks that email. He probably doesn't respond to anyone, though. If I were going to email him, I would simply email him pictures of sweet, sweet boobies. Because if there's anybody that deserves the sweetest of boobies, it's got to be Satoshi. Okay. Abstract. A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work. Forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof of work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of the sequence of events witnessed, but proof that it came from the largest pool of CPU power As long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by nodes that are not cooperating to attack the network, they'll generate the longest chain and outpace attackers. That's important. The network itself requires minimal structure. Messages are broadcast on a best effort basis and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof of work, at, proof of work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. And that's the genius of the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, which has never been hacked. Part one, introduction, commerce on the internet has come to rely almost exclusively on financial institutions serving as trusted third parties to process electronic payments. While the system works well enough for most transactions, it still suffers from the inherent weaknesses of the trust-based model. Completely non-reversible transactions are not really possible. Boy, anybody that operates a business online knows that. They are constantly plagued by those chargebacks. Those are annoying, aren't they? Since financial institutions cannot avoid mediating disputes and often doing a crappy job of it, thanks a lot, PayPal, the cost of mediation increases transaction costs limiting the minimum practical transaction size and cutting off the possibility for small casual transactions which is what you can enjoy off of the website craigslist.org in certain dodgier sections of the site and there is a broader cost in the loss of ability to make non-reversible payments for non-reversible services. With the possibility of reversal, the need for trust spreads. Merchants must be wary of their customers, hassling them for more information than they would otherwise need. A certain percentage of fraud is accepted as unavoidable. These costs and payment uncertainties can be avoided in person by using physical currency. But no mechanism exists to make payments over a communication channel without a trusted party. What is needed is an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust. Proof more important than trust, right? Allowing any two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party. Transactions that are computationally impractical to reverse would protect sellers from fraud. And routine escrow mechanisms could easily be implemented implemented to protect buyers. In this paper, we propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer distributed timestamp server to generate computational proof of the chronological order of transactions. The system is secure as long as honest nodes collectively control more CPU power than any cooperating group of attacker nodes. I might add that he uses nodes here, and now we use the word miners for nodes, I believe. Correct me if I'm mistaken about that. Part two, transactions. We define an electronic coin as a chain of digital signatures. Each owner transfers the coin to the next by digitally signing a hash of the previous transaction and the public key of the next owner and adding these to the end of the coin. A payee can verify the signatures to verify the chain of ownership. And we've got a nice graphic worth checking out, I will link to the white paper below wherever you are listening to this. The problem, of course, is the payee can't verify that one of the owners did not double spend the coin. A common solution is to introduce a trusted central authority, or mint, that checks every transaction for double spending. After each transaction, the coin must be returned to the Mint to issue a new coin. And only coins issued directly from the Mint are trusted not to be double spent. The problem with this solution is that the fate of the entire money system depends on the company running the Mint With every transaction having to go through them, just like a bank. And banks are not the happiest places, are they? I once worked at a bank. I was a banker, and I downright hated that job. My favorite day of my entire career of being a banker was the day that we got robbed. That was pretty exciting. Back to the paper. We need a way for the payee to know that the previous owners did not sign any earlier transactions. For our purposes, the earliest transaction is the one that counts. So we don't care about later attempts to double spend. The only way to confirm the absence of a transaction is to be aware of all transactions. Important point. In the Mint-based model, the Mint was aware of all transactions and decided which arrived first. To accomplish this without a trusted third party, transactions must be publicly announced. And we need a system for participants to agree on a single history of the order in which they were received. The payee needs proof that at the time of each transaction, the majority of nodes agreed it was the first received. Part 3. Timestamp Server The solution we propose begins with a timestamp server. A timestamp server works by taking a hash of a block of items to be timestamped and widely publishing the hash, such as in a newspaper or a Usenet post. Wow, that's a blast. From the past, the timestamp proves that the data must have existed at the time, obviously, in order to get the hash. Each timestamp includes the previous timestamp in its hash forming a chain, with each additional timestamp reinforcing the ones used before it. Part four, proof of work. To implement a distributed timestamp server on a peer-to-peer basis, we will need to use a proof-of-work system similar to Adam Back's hashcash. Ooh, you might want to look into Adam Back. That guy's definitely not Satoshi himself, is he? Rather than a newspaper or Usenet. Posts. The proof of work involves scanning for a value that when hashed, such as with SHA-256, the hash begins with a number of zero bits. The average work required is exponential in the number of zero bits required and can be verified by executing a single hash. For our timestamp network, we implement the proof of work by increasing a nonce. A nonce. That is the first time I've ever heard that word. In the block, until a value is found that gives the block's hash the required zero bits, once the CPU effort has been expanded to make it satisfy the proof of work, the block cannot be changed without redoing the work. As later blocks are chained after it, the work to change the block would include redoing all the blocks after it. The proof of work also solves the problem of determining representation in majority decision making if the majority were based on one ip address one vote it could be subverted by anyone able to allocate many ip addresses proof of work is essentially one cpu one vote the majority decision is represented by its longest Chain, which has the greatest proof of work effort invested in it. If a majority of CPU power is controlled by honest nodes, the honest chain will grow the fastest and outpace any competing chains. To modify a past block, an attacker would have to redo the proof of work on the block and all blocks after it and then catch up with and surpass the work of the honest nodes we will show later that the probability of a slower attacker catching up diminishes exponentially as subsequent blocks are added and this talk of slow attackers just reminds me of a time that i was once almost mugged in colombia and i just ran away from the guy, and he didn't manage to get me. Maybe that's what's going on here on the blockchain. There's a visualization for you to bring all this home. To compensate for increasing hardware speed and varying interest in running nodes over time, the proof-of-work difficulty is determined by a moving average, targeting an average number of blocks per hour. If they're generated too fast, the difficulty increases. Part five, the steps to run the network are as follows. One, new transactions are broadcast to all nodes. Two, each node collects new transactions into a block. Three, each node works on finding a difficult proof of work for its block. Four, when a node finds a proof of work, it broadcasts the block to all nodes. Five, nodes accept the block only if all transactions in it are valid and not already spent, importantly. And six, nodes express their acceptance of the block by working on creating the next block in the chain using the hash of the accepted block as the previous hash nodes always consider the longest chain to be the correct one and will keep working on extending it if two nodes broadcast different versions of the next block simultaneously one some nodes may receive one or the other first in that case they work on the one they received but save the other branch in case it becomes longer. The tie will be broken when the next proof of work is found and one branch becomes longer. The nodes that were working on the other branch will then switch to the larger one. Problem solved. Bada bing, bada boom. New transaction broadcasts do not necessarily need to reach all nodes. As long as they reach many nodes, they will get into a block before long. Block broadcasts are also tolerant of dropped messages. If a node does not receive a block, it will request it when it it receives the next block and realizes it missed one. Part six. Incentive. By convention, the first transaction in a block is a special transaction that starts with a new coin owned by the creator of the block. This adds an incentive for nodes to support the network and provides a way to initially distribute coins into circulation. And it would seem that it has continued to be the way that... Coins are circulated into uh, the network. Since there is no central authority to issue them, the steady addition of a constant of amount of new coins is analogous to gold miners expanding resources to add gold to circulation. In our case, it is CPU time and electricity that is expended. And I guess that's where we got the, uh, the shorthand phrase miners for the people that are uh, bringing the coins into existence. The incentive can also be funded with transaction fees. Oh boy, I know about transaction fees. I pay those all the time. And I am not fond of doing so, but it's part of the game. If the output value of a transaction is less than its input value... The difference is a transaction fee that is added to the incentive value of the block containing the transaction. Once a predetermined number of coins have entered circulation, the incentive can transition entirely to transaction fees and be completely inflation-free. The incentive may help encourage nodes to stay honest. If a greedy attacker is able to assemble more CPU power than all the honest nodes, he would have to choose between using it to defraud people by stealing back his payments or using it to generate new coins he ought to find it more profitable to play by the rules. Such rules that favor him with more new coins than everyone else combined. Than to undermine the system and the validity of his own wealth. So that's very insightful into human nature, isn't it? That's uh, the white paper is accounting for the... Undeniable, uh, the undeniably uh, evolutionary nature of the way us humans operate in the financial uh, environment. Step seven, reclaiming disk space. Once the latest transaction in a coin is buried under enough blocks, the spent transactions before it can be discarded to save disk space to facilitate this without breaking the blocks hash transactions are hashed in a merkle tree which just makes me think of that old lady running you running uh germany and europe by extent with only the root included in the blocks hash old blocks can then be compacted by stubbing off branches of the tree. The interior hashes do not need to be stored. Great. A block header with no transactions would be about 80 bytes. If we suppose blocks are generated every 10 minutes, then 80 bytes times 6 times 24 times 365 equals... 4.2 megabytes per year rather small right with computer systems typically selling with 2 gigabyte of ram as of 2008 and moore's law predicting current growth of 1.2 gigabytes per year storage should not be a problem even if the block headers must be kept in memory and i guess you're you're Prediction proved uh, fruitful in this case. Section 8, simplified payment verification. It is possible to verify payments without running a full network node. A user only needs to keep a copy of the block headers of the longest proof of work Chain, which he can get by querying network nodes until he's convinced he has the longest chain and obtain the Merkle branch linking the transaction to the block it's timestamped in. He can't check the transaction for himself, but by linking it to a place in the chain, he can see that a network node has accepted it and blocks added after it confirm the network has accepted it. As such, the verification is reliable as long as honest nodes control the network, but is more vulnerable if the network is overpowered by an attacker. While network nodes can verify transactions for themselves, the simplified method can be fooled by an attacker's fabricated transactions for as long as the attacker can continue to overpower the network one strategy to protect against this would be to accept alerts from network nodes when they detect an invalid block, prompting the user's software to download the full block and alerted transactions to confirm the inconsistency. Businesses that receive frequent payments will probably still want to run their own nodes for more independent security and quicker verification. Section 9. Combining and splitting value. Although it would be possible to handle coins individually, it would be unwieldy to make a separate transaction for every cent in a transfer to allow value to be split and combined transactions contain multiple inputs and outputs normally there will be either a single input from a larger previous transaction or multiple inputs combining smaller amounts and at most two outputs one for the payment and one returning the change if any back to the sender it should be noted that fan out where a transaction depends on several transactions and those transactions depend on many more is not a problem here there is never the need to extract a complete standalone copy of a transaction's history part 10 Privacy. The traditional banking model achieves a level of privacy by limiting access to information to the parties involved and the trusted third party. The necessity to announce all transactions publicly precludes this method, but privacy can still be maintained by breaking the flow of information in another. Place by keeping public keys anonymous. That's an important thing, guys. Uh, Lots of people, this is a lesson that many people have learned in an expensive manner. The public can see that someone is sending an amount to someone else, but without information linking the transaction to anyone. As President Obama famously said, I think that uh, blockchain means everyone is now walking around with a Swiss bank account in their pocket. This is similar to the level of information released by stock exchanges, where the time and size of individual trades, the quote-unquote tape, is made public without telling who the parties Were, And then there's a graphic there that shows how blockchain is basically doing it without a middleman, which is cool. As an additional firewall, a new key pair should be used for each transaction to keep them from being linked to a common owner. Some linking is still unavoidable with multi-input transactions, which necessarily reveal that their inputs were owned by the same owner. The risk is that if the owner of a key is revealed, linking could reveal other transactions that belong to the same owner. Part 11. Calculations. We consider the scenario of an attacker trying to generate an alternate chain faster than the honest chain. Even if this is accomplished, it does not throw the system open to arbitrary changes, such as creating value out of thin air or taking money that never belonged to the attacker. Nodes are not going to accept an invalid transaction as payment, and honest nodes will never accept a block containing them. An attacker can only try to change one of his own transactions to take back money he recently spent. The race between the honest chain and an attacker chain can be characterized As a binomial random walk. Wow, that sounds like a hip-hop dance move, doesn't it? The success event is the honest chain being extended by one block, increasing its lead by plus one. And the failure event is the attacker's chain being extended by one block, reducing the gap by negative one. The probability of an attacker catching up from a given deficit is analogous to a gambler's ruin problem. Suppose a gambler, let's say your Uncle Ted, with unlimited credit starts at deficit and plays potentially an infinite number of trials to reach break-even. Before he uh, drowns his sorrows there uh, there at the bar in Vegas on cheap booze. Poor, poor, poor Uncle Ted. We can calculate the probability he ever reaches break-even. Or that an attacker ever catches up with the honest chain as follows. P probability, an honest node finds the next block. Q probability the attacker finds the next block and then probability the attacker will ever catch up from z blocks behind math lovely given our assumption that p is greater than q the probability drops exponentially as the number of blocks the attacker has to catch up with increases so this is a Anti-fragile financial system, to use that cool word that I so love. With the odds against him, this is the attacker, not your Uncle Ted. He already has odds against him. With the odds against him, if he doesn't make a lucky lunge forward early on, his chances become vanishingly small as he falls further behind. We now consider how long the recipient of a new transaction needs to wait before being sufficiently certain the sender can't change the transaction. We assume the sender is an attacker who wants to make the recipient believe he paid him for a while, then switch it to payback to himself after some time has passed. The receiver will be alerted when that happens, but the sender hopes it will be too late. The receiver generates a new key pair and gives the public key to the sender shortly before signing. This prevents the sender from preparing a chain of blocks ahead of time by working on it continuously until he is lucky enough to get far enough ahead, then executing the transaction at that moment. Once the transaction is sent, the dishonest sender starts working in secret to on a parallel chain containing an alternative version of his transaction the recipient waits until the transaction has been added to a block and z blocks have been made linked after it he doesn't know the exact amount of progress the attacker has made but assuming the honest blocks took the average expected time per block the attacker's potential progress will be a poison distribution with expected value and I'm wondering poison he's spelling poison with two s's so and a capital p so that probably is not talking about poison in the way that we think about it. To get the probability that the attacker will catch up now, we multiply the poison density for each amount of progress he could have made by the probability he could catch up from that point. Rearranging to avoid summing the infinite tail of the distribution infinite tail that sounds to me like a uh, maybe a pickup artist course and then we've got some computer code uh an exposition of what this uh this poison infinite tail looks like in c code running some results we can see the probability drop off exponentially with z And we'll move to part 12 of the white paper. Conclusion. We're almost there, guys and gals. We have proposed a system for electronic transactions without relying on trust. Bravo. Bravissimo, Satoshi. You did it. We started with the usual framework of coins made with digital signatures, which provides strong control of ownership, but is incomplete without a way to prevent double spending. To solve this, we proposed a peer-to-peer network using proof of work to record a public history of transactions that quickly becomes computationally impractical for an attacker to change if honest nodes control a majority of cpu power the network is robust in its unstructured simplicity unstructured simplicity love it nodes work all at once with little coordination they do not need to be identified since messages are not routed to any particular place and only need to be delivered on a best effort basis. Nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the proof-of-work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. They vote with their CPU power expressing their acceptance of valid blocks by working on extending them and rejecting invalid blocks by refusing to work on them. Any needed rules and incentives can be enforced with this consensus mechanism. And then we move on to the references. And I'm curious what's in there. Design of a secure timestamping service with minimal trust requirements. How to timestamp a digital document. Improving the efficiency and reliability of digital timestamping. Secure names for bit strings. Bit strings. Just not quite as catchy as Bitcoin. Hash. A denial of service countermeasure. Protocols for public crypto systems. And then the very earliest uh, footnote was an introduction to probability theory and its applications. 1957 W. Feller. I bet Mr. Feller never would have imagined <laughs> what what all ensued here. So that's my reading of the Bitcoin. White paper, it is a dense document. I'm not quite sufficiently uh, academic or cryptographically adroit to interpret and understand all of it. I see how the uh, focus on creating an anti fragile system uh, is based around creating a incentive whereby attackers, as he calls them, or the bad actors, it actually becomes more profitable for bad actors to just be lending their computational resources to the network itself. And this is what has resulted in the Bitcoin network, which as far as I understand it, has never been hacked. And I don't I, I know that it is used in Malicious ways Uh, people uh, doing um, people people doing uh, criminal financial enterprises use Bitcoin, of course, but as far as people hacking the network itself, it simply doesn't make sense financially so. The bad actors don't even try, which, you know, just kind of makes you think about the rest of society. How could we structure the rest of society, uh, the rest of human interactions, so that even for bad actors, which are inevitable out there, so that even for them, it would be more profitable. It would be probabilistically uh a more successful endeavor to be contributing to the system as opposed to trying to hack it. That's something to think about, isn't it? Well, in closing, I would again just invite you to go and check out the page on Marketplace Gold that's linked below wherever you are listening to this. Where I have a geo-directory of businesses, large and small organizations, along with freelancers, that are accepting Bitcoin as payment. And I certainly hope to be a part of a world where one day every business accepts Bitcoin. I'm Jonathan with Marketplace Gold, looking forward to a continued conversation with you.